What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the second episode of The Bats Cave, the new weekly podcast where I talk about basically just whatever's on my mind. Uh, I am your host, Alex Bats. Uh, so this week, as you can tell by the title, I'm going to be talking about Joker, which just released uh, this weekend, uh, two days ago at the time that I'm recording this, or three, if you, if you count Thursday night, which is the first time that I saw it, actually. Um, but before I get into the film and stuff, I want to just... Um, thank everyone who listened to the first episode and like gave feedback on that i got a lot of um really great feedback on that episode some really nice comments um and it did pretty well so just thank you a lot for that it, it means a ton um just seeing that i do see your comments and in your responses and i appreciate everyone who who liked it and uh listened to it and also like shouted it out and stuff on social media uh it, it just means a lot to me um i'm glad that people have responded to it positively um so thank you for that but yeah, I mean, another thing, I guess, before I get like super into this episode, because I don't think that I mentioned it in, uh, in the first episode of the podcast. Um, I know on um, iTunes or I guess Apple podcast, uh, it's late. My podcast is labeled as explicit. I think it shows up like that on Spotify and, and other things like that as well. Um, I don't think that I swore a lot in the first episode, um, but it's labeled like that because uh, I mean being honest i curse like a sailor just whenever i normally talk sorry any family who might be listening um but that's just kind of that's just how i am most of the time which is it's interesting to me because i kind of i have a um a constant internal struggle about that and i also have tried uh i don't really curse as much on my like batman twitter account i'll actually like censor myself i'll put the like asterisks or whatever in uh and in certain words which is it's it's interesting to me because like on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, I want to be more professional and stuff like that. And I don't want to, um, you know, I just know that that doesn't look as professional. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, I mean, fuck that. I like, I want to be me, you know, and I want to just talk like how I talk. And so it's just a constant like back and forth uh, for there. But I guess this is kind of me just saying that like, um, while I wasn't as um, vulgar for lack of a better word on like the first episode i'll probably slip up a couple times during this one just given the nature of of what i'm talking about and and i feel i feel very passionately about this film and uh and the situations around it and stuff um so yeah there's that also if you're watching uh the video version of this podcast you'll see i made it a staggering two episodes before having to bring out the neck deep hat because my hair is just something else today and didn't want to deal with that on camera. So got my neck deep hat. Shout out to anyone who knows who they are. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so this whole episode is just uh, going to be dedicated to Joker and, and the Joker film. Um, I'll talk spoilers for it later. But before I do that, uh, I guess I'll I'll give spoiler free thoughts. And um, <clears throat> oh my gosh, sorry for all the I got something in my throat, I guess. Um but so I'll give spoiler free thoughts and also talking about some of the controversy, I guess, is what it's been uh, named about this movie and uh, and the things like that. Um, first, like I remember when this movie was announced, I know a lot of people didn't think this movie was going to happen. And, and a lot of people were, were like, why are we getting a, a Joker origin movie? Like that's cause one of the biggest things with Joker in the comics, you know, is that he doesn't really have a definitive origin i mean we have the killing joke which is the most um accepted rendition of of how he became the joker 
um, which that actually originally wasn't a canon book. Like, whenever that was written, that wasn't supposed to be part of the main canon, but then it, it, it became such a hit and, and was kind of adopted into the main continuity. Um, and so, you know, in that, we see him attempting to be a stand-up comedian and, and, and failing at that, and then he gets looped in with the Red Hood game and, gang and, um, you know, falls into the vat of chemicals, and, you know, the rest is history. Um, and so we see that kind of stand-up comedian aspect a little bit in, in the Joker, or in the Joker film, which I think is really cool. Um, but, like, besides the killing joke, I mean, we also get in um, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman in Zero Year, kind of the same thing i mean we don't really see him trying to be comedian or really even see joker explicitly um we infer that it's him underneath the um the red hood mask whenever um he falls into the chemicals in zero year um but that's also definitely not really a joker origin story um so yeah like the big the one of the big things about him in the comics is that like we don't we have no idea who he is and that just kind of adds to his character and his mystique and and everything about him which has always been a really cool draw for comic readers and fans of batman and joker um it's just part of what makes him who he is uh i mean there's even the quote from the killing joke where he's like if i'm like sometimes i remember it one way sometimes another if i'm gonna have a past i prefer it to be multiple choice um that's just such a like joker thing for him to say and, and like believe um and so, and I mean, now with um, three Jokers coming out, I don't know if that'll explore his origins at all, but the fact that there's apparently three different Jokers is really, I'm so intrigued by that book and that premise. That's a whole other tangent to go on, though. Um, but so a lot of people were really off-put just from the get-go about getting a Joker origin story and thinking that we didn't need it um, and like things like that. And my... See, I have a stance, basically, like, I hate it, and I know I hate it is a strong word, but, like, I strongly dislike it whenever a project, whether it be film or games or comics or TV or whatever, and people are like, oh, we don't need that. Like, we don't technically need any of the art that we get. Which, make no mistake, that's what films and comics and games and TV are. They are art. They're a form of expression via storytelling and, and these other mediums. And we don't need, quote-unquote, any of it. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't get it and that we should also deter people from telling the stories that they want to tell. Um, and so I'm very open. Like, until something proves to me that I don't like it I'm like well why not have it and even if I don't like it like I, someone will you know like every everyone's least favorite movie is someone's favorite movie you know that's just how it is like even if it's a like even if everyone agrees it's an objectively like bad movie like from a technical or whatever standpoint like someone will still get a lot of joy out of watching that film so like why shouldn't it have been made like if someone had the passion to do that to put that effort into making it and like writing it and and getting through all of the things that you have to do to make a film which is an incredible amount of work like why should we not get that and see that um so that was my kind of big thing about it at first and and i'm also just i I'm always down for more stories and if someone has a compelling story that they want to tell like I'm all ears I'll watch it I'll listen to it or read it or whatever like if that's if it piques my interest especially like then yeah like I'll I'll give it attention like why not um 
And so that's kind of how I was about this movie. And then the more that we saw and learned from this movie, um, as you know, production and everything went underway. Um, I don't remember when exactly we knew that like Joaquin Phoenix was going to be Joker. Um, but whenever that happened, I think that was a really big like change in how people thought about and kind of approached this movie. Cause like Joaquin is first off one of the best actors working today. Um, I, don't think you can disagree with that really i think that's like an objective truth at this point um i know that all film and performances or whatever are subjective but like the dude's just so good at what he does um and we know that he's super selective in the scripts that he takes and so the fact that he signed on for this film people are like okay like i think that made a lot of people put more faith and take this film more seriously after that happened um, which is great, and so we got that, and then just the more that we saw about this movie, like, it's just, it's like an, honestly, it's like an indie film, just with one of the biggest intellectual properties that there is, like, the Joker is the biggest comic book villain of all time, like, even if you hate him, like, he, that's who, who and what he is, like, he, everyone knows who the Joker is, like, it's Batman and Joker, like, come on, um, but it's just so wild that this film, one, the budget is, it's like 50 million. It's not a huge budget, which I mean, I know $50 million is a lot of money, but compared to like the 500 million that Infinity War and Endgame used for their budget, like that's insane. That's such a big difference, um, which I think was genius one, but it also just, it gives the director and everyone involved that creative freedom to do what they want to do with the story and express what they want to express with the film because then the studio wb isn't as worried about the money that they put into it because relatively speaking they're not investing that much in it like it doesn't have to do that much to make a profit if the budget's only 50 million which for the record at the time that i'm recording this which is um the sunday after it released so the october 6th um, th it's opening weekend worldwide total is at $234 million. So well past what his budget was. It made 93.5 million in North America alone, which is almost double its budget, um, for this weekend. So yeah, definitely a phenomenal investment on their part. Um, but yeah, just doing that and like letting the director, go through with his vision uh, really delivered something that is wholly unique and unlike anything that we've seen before like in the comic book genre like I feel it's I think I haven't seen like too many I haven't really been on Twitter that much to see a lot of the reactions to it I've seen some of course um, but I feel like it's maybe the easiest to draw a line of comparison between this movie and Logan and the fact that they are both extreme character studies of their pro like their respective protagonists um which I think is such a strong like that's just such a strong filmmaking stance to take um is just doing a deep dive psychologically about one character and their journey throughout the film um and this movie just absolutely excels at that. Like, Joaquin Phoenix, I know everyone is saying it at this point, and they should be. Just give the man the Oscar. It's... I'm almost at a loss for words about just how incredible his performance was in this film. I mean, this... 
it's obviously called Joker, and so we knew it was going to be a Joker film, but this entire film is his. There's not a single scene in this movie that he's not in, and, like, the lead um, catalyst, I guess, for. Um, and it's just incredible, like, even from... Oh, I, can't, I can't get into to spoilers yet. Um, <laughs> but he just... Abs- he's mesmerizing in the role. His transformation from being Arthur Fleck to the Joker is such an incremental transition like it's not like one thing in particular happens at one minute and then oh he's all of a sudden joker like that's not how this movie is it's not how it's structured and it's not how it's paced and it works so well because of it you really get this slow burn up to him transforming and fully becoming joker and it's just magnificent to watch like this movie is dark and depressing and a complete descent into madness and it does it so so excellently and it's just i i I watched it for the second time this morning so i'm coming off of that and it's still like you know going around in my head but i mean honestly since seeing it the first time on thursday night like i haven't been able to stop thinking about it it's just so so good um so yeah just the way the story is structured and seeing him gradually become what we know as joker is such an interesting thing to see it it's done so well uh the score in this movie is absolutely phenomenal it's haunting it's subtle until it's not subtle like it's integrated in there so seamlessly that i mean you notice it you feel it um but it's not like overpowering until it needs to be and then in the moments of intensity and really um heightened not even action but just heightened like moments in the film it becomes not not even overpowering just like so ominous and haunting and just there like you just feel it and it's so strong because of that the score is incredible um the cinematography i i should have looked it up before i started recording but i i don't know who the cinematographer is but did an absolutely phenomenal job with that as well um, it's a visually beautiful movie, even for as, um, disturbing and as unsettling as it is at times. Um, it's just so great in that regard too. So just from like a, from, it just checks all the technical bar, like boxes so well. Uh, the performances are amazing. We get like Joaquin obviously, you know, crushes it in the main role. He totally, I, at the very least, he gets an Oscar nomination for this. I think that he should win it for this. Um, I haven't seen probably all of the performances that will be nominated for the Oscars. I know one of the other main ones will be, um, I would imagine, will be Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I love that movie a lot too, and he does a fantastic job in that. But just, like, for what Joaquin does in this movie, I feel like he should definitely win. It's unreal, almost, what he accomplishes here. Um... So I think he definitely deserves the win for that. So performances like from him, we get Zay's Beats, who her character, oh man, uh, she does a great job. There's something with her character that I'll talk about in the spoiler section that's wild. Um, and so she does a great job. Robert De Niro as Murray, you know, the talk show host. Um, he does a really, really good job too. Like he doesn't have a like super, I mean, kind of a pivotal role, not really sort of which I'll get into, but he does a really, really good job uh, with the scenes that he's in. Arthur's mother even does a, does a good job. Um, really, like, everyone in this film gives good performances, really solid performances. Um, like I said, the cinematography is amazing. The score is amazing. 
the production and set design is just top-notch. Gotham looks incredible. That's another thing. I mean, it looks shitty, which it should. It's Gotham. Um, but it um, it's a really... I, I really like this version of Gotham a lot, I think. Because it's not, like, super stylized. It's not, like... We don't have, like, Zeppelins flying around, flying around and things like that. Um, but just the aesthetic that it has fits the film so well. It's so dirty and just grimy. It looks like it's always just finished raining, which I love to see that in Gotham. Uh, this movie takes place in the early 80s. I think it's like either 80 or 81 or something. Um, and so it's got that aesthetic going for it as well, which I think just looks really good. Um, it's such an interesting, like we get like two or three maybe like wide shots of like the city of Gotham. And I think that it, it captures the spirit of the city well whenever you see um, this huge gigantic like skyscraper metropolitan like in the middle but we never really go to that section of gotham we're mainly in like the further away it gets from those really wealthy and high power districts of gotham we see kind of not even the outskirts but just like the rest of the city um i think it it does a good job showing that um yeah just just from a technical like standpoint alone this movie's great um the other main thing which i guess kind of goes hand in hand which something was just something i wanted to mention actually before i even got into the um the reasons i like this movie so much but it kind of it goes hand in hand with it um so yeah there's the the controversy i'm doing air quotes if you're not watching the, the video podcast um about this movie and the concerns for it inspiring people to commit similar acts to that of joker and having people sympathize with him um which Dude, the like the face I just gave on the video podcast if you're not I just it's no that's not what this movie is at all it want there's for me especially and I think that it should be like this for most people that think about it logically there's a difference between a movie wanting you to sympathize with and justify a character's actions versus showing you why and how they act the way they do and understanding why they act the way they do and that's what this movie does one i mean you don't get to be like how the joker is without some terrible shit happening to you that's just how that works you don't get to be a psychotic killer clown by going through a lot of good things in your life you know and so, of course, there's going to be some things that you see that happen to him where you feel sorry that those things happened. And that is in high contrast to with what he does because of those things. But at no point does the film try to justify his actions. It doesn't say, oh, well, he went through this, so him killing these people is okay. That's not what it does. And it actually... It, it's really unsettling to see because you don't want to see him do the heinous acts that he commits in this. But whenever he does it, you're like, oh, well, that's not good. That's really fucked up, honestly. Like, And so the fact that it's able to do that is such a solid internal struggle that the movie presents for you, but it doesn't make you sympathize with him. It just shows you how he ended up the way that he is. And that's not justifying what he does that's showing you how he gets there and showing you why it's wrong that he 
responds to these terrible situations in the way that he does. Um, and so the controversy around it, I think, is just really, like, blown out of proportion. Like, it's not... And the movie also presents a really interesting um, dynamic between the wealthy and powerful in Gotham and literally everyone else and the fact that the elite just don't care about the normal person and people with mental health issues and things like that. And that's a real world problem that we do have. And I think that this movie seeks to address the fact that we need to pay more attention to those issues. It doesn't seek to glamorize or justify the extreme actions of people that do have those problems, but rather to bring up a conversation about how we need to make a difference in a positive manner for the things that we see that are warning signs that we can do to prevent things and people like the Joker from acting in the way that they do. And also, the situation that unfolds in Gotham in this movie is extremely, um, oh, what's the word, dramatized, I guess, uh, exaggerated. Gotham is always a very hyper and extreme version of a crime-ridden city that we see, like, in America. It's not realistic. We don't have cities to the extreme that we do in Gotham as far as, like, crime and the way that the public and, obviously, like supervillains and Batman and stuff like show up and it so it's always been an exaggerated form of that and that's as grounded and as real as this movie feels that's still the case here like it's um exaggerated to highlight the problems that we do have um but again and at no point tries to justify the actions of the antagonist or the protagonist I guess uh in this it doesn't say at all that what he does is okay it actually makes you feel terrible about what he's doing and what he does um but it at, at the same time it does draw some needed attention to how we look at and how we deal with mental health issues and people in our own society and how we can better ourselves in the way that we interact and, and go about helping them um and so yeah just the the controversy around it it's just the wrong thing like it's not like this is the first movie that's ever had a vile and terrible person be the protagonist of a film, or and it's not the first movie that's shown a resistance of people rising against the power and trying to overthrow them or whatever. I mean, have you seen Fight Club? Like, no one made a big deal about that whenever that was, like, we didn't, there wasn't a sharp increase in riots and blowing up banks and things like that whenever Fight Club came out. Um... I don't think that censoring and blaming the art or films is the conversation that we should be having. I feel like if we're so concerned about mass shootings and things like that, the more pressing concern would be why do people who are willing to commit these heinous acts have easy access to guns and things that allow them to commit these acts is the conversation and problem that we should be facing. Um, that's my two cents on it. I don't want to get too political into this, but it's just, the movie's not the problem when it comes down to it. Um, I'm actually very impressed with myself for being able to put this uh, <laughs> train of thought together as uh, eloquently as I have in this. Because I, I, I've been trying to formulate how to like, get that across uh, for a while now whenever I would sit down to record this. But it's just the movie's not the problem, bottom line, I think. Um, 
and so yeah that's that's just kind of what i think about that that controversy and also the controversy definitely helped the movie at the box office because it became something so much bigger than just a movie like because of all the concern or whatever and it just being in all the headlines people were like well i gotta see this movie and now it's made 234 million dollars in its opening weekend which is just ridiculous um so yeah uh i i I think that's the most that i can say about it um as far as spoiler free thoughts are concerned it's um yeah it's a great movie it's in my i think it's my third favorite comic book movie i sat down yesterday and like made a list of my my top 10 comic book movies um and yeah this one's at number three for those curious bvs and the dark knight are number one and two they're pretty much interchangeable just they can flip on any given day but i think after seeing joker a second time i'm i'm fairly confident that it's solid at at my number three slot for the comic book movie um i guess uh before i move into spoiler filled thoughts the other thing that i can kind of talk about um is what i think this movie um and its success can mean for dc and also comic book films in general going forward um one i think and hope that this being as successful as it is uh, will show WB, but also hopefully maybe Marvel. Um, well, they don't really have to worry about money. Uh, not that WB does, but um, I just hope that it shows every studio really that you don't need to break the bank for comic book films to make an incredible experience that is also highly profitable. Um, you really can make these lower budget character-driven, character-focused, story-centric just um, experiences, and they can do really, really well. I think, I I hope that it shows them that. I hope that we get more of these. I think Birds of Prey uh, will be another thing that proves that for WB, um, because I don't know the exact budget for that movie. I can't remember, but I know it's not very large, Um, and that's just another one that I think is going to perform extremely well at the box office and and be highly profitable for them and i really hope that that just drives some of the point that like hey make more of these like they can't they can be so good on relatively speaking so little money invested in them um not everything needs to be this huge world ending we need all of this cgi and all of this extra pizzazz or whatever to make it a really good film and I hope that they see that. Um, I hope the WP also, I'm slightly biased here. I must admit I like darker, more bleak and tragic stories as opposed to lighthearted and comedic things. That's just how I am as a person. But also, um, I think it's fair to say that's where DC has had the most success with their films. Um, and I really hope that they see again that that's what, I don't want to say that's what works best for DC because I feel like they definitely can do hopeful and upbeat and light really well. Shazam was fucking fantastic. And that's all that is. Um, And there are definitely characters that lend themselves to that, but I hope that it just makes it to where they don't shy away from going super dark and grim and things like that in future films. Um, I hope this also, um, I, which I can only imagine that it will, but I really hope this gives them the green light for 
the DC Black slash Elseworlds label. I know that um, Todd Phillips, who's the director, um, mentioned in like an interview that he, um, while they were like pitching and, and conceptualizing this film, they were he said that um, it'd be cool if DC had like a DC Black um, line of films that were like Joker, where it's just a director or whoever has an idea for a character and a story that doesn't fit in the main continuity and main fold of films that DC is making, but they still want to do it. Um, I feel like that should definitely be greenlit at this point. I think it would be a huge mistake not to, because again, if you just, if you have people that have a passion for a story or a character that they want to tell and you give them the space to tell that story and if they can do it well it will perform well like this is proof of that and there are so many characters and stories and ideas that we can see if they just open that floodgate and let that happen and I just really really hope that's the case for me right now I feel like there are three separate lines that DC can go with their films from this there'll be the main DCEU, which, you know, is Wonder Woman and Aquaman and Shazam and the Birds of Prey and Black Adam and whatever else is in the pipeline for that. I forget all the films. Um, so we'll have that, you know, like continuity or world. Um, and then we'll have the Batman and that universe that Matt Reeves is starting. So we had even recent reports saying that he's setting up for it to be a really big Batman Citrin universe with a lot of the Bat family and all these villains and things like that. Um, but as far as we know, that will not be connected to the DCEU. So we'll have that universe like kind of on its own, that world on its own. And then I feel like we should also just have the Elseworlds branch where we get these one off, maybe two, maybe do a trilogy, whatever, just these stories that are contained that are not that don't fit into either the main or the Batman universe and those characters and things. And I feel like if you go through those three separate branches and those three paths for however long you want to, really, um, you can do that. And then if they want to, they could do just an insane, like, Crisis on Infinite Earths type thing where you see whoever wants to and works with crossing over with whatever, you can do that at that point. Cause, I mean, that's something that DC does well in the comics. Like, the multiverse is such an interesting concept, and it's something that the, the general audience is not completely alien to anymore. Like, that's something that everyone, I think, can swallow pretty easily and be like, okay, well, they're just, you know, from different universes, whatever. Um, and so I really hope that that's the direction that they end up going with it. Um, I think it would make the most sense. I just really, I even if we don't ever get, a, like, Crisis on Infinite Earths type crossover thing, on the big screen with the three separate lines. I hope that they do pursue those three separate avenues, the main one, the Batman, and then, you know, the Elseworlds side. Um, I think that's the direction that WB and DC should take their films. Um, Cause that really just allows them to hit all the points of the market that they can. Um, it allows you to make, you know, the different genre films, um, in every avenue, whether it be Batman, the main one, or Elseworlds, and it also allows you to have that connected universe from the main continuity, and then also a Batman-connected universe, and then one that doesn't have to worry about the consequences and the confines of continuity, and the Elseworlds one, and so 
I think that's just, I, I feel like that's a logical way to go. I hope that's where they go. Um, but yeah, just the implications that Joker has is just, it's so big. Like, this is another, um, this is another game changer, honestly. Like, I, I know it's been compared to already, like, the Dark Knight and what it does for the genre. And yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is, honestly. It, um, it's huge. It, it, I, I was watching, um, Jeremy John's, uh, video yesterday the day before his like spoiler talk thing about this movie and um he said that this movie did for comic book films what comic fans have known that certain stories and graphic novels can do for comics for decades as far as the deep and intense character study and the seriousness and the the gravity that that it presents like we know how varied and how intense and how just serious I guess for lack of a better word these can be and this really shows that because I mean like while you're watching this um it's really not a comic book movie it is in the sense that it's Joker through and through especially up to his, after a certain point like this movie has the most Joker scenes I've ever seen in it which I'll get into in a little bit but besides that and how he acts really representing the character in such a brilliant way it's not like it's a movie it's just a normal movie uh and i think that's really important for the genre it has a very very needed variety for the genre as well um which not to point fingers or or whatever at the marvel movies because i love the marvel movies for the most part but i can't help but feel that a lot of them feel the same um which is fine they work really well they're great to watch the first time i just don't really find myself ever wanting to rewatch most of them because they feel a little similar i know i'm not alone in that i know a lot of people disagree with that also but it's just um it's how i feel about that and so this definitely adds it's a lot of variety to that um i just so i just hope and i would imagine that people will take notice of that um but yeah i so i i guess that's all of my spoiler-free thoughts about the movie. So, um, oh, also, if you're watching the video thing, check out my shirt. It says, I am smiling. It's got Batman uh, with a straight face. Um, but, yeah, so that, that's all my spoiler-free thoughts for the film, I think. So if you haven't seen it uh, at this point, one, please do yourself a favor. Go watch it. Um, well, m most people, I feel. It's definitely not a film for everyone. Um, it's not for the fan of heart or if you don't like dark and serious things, I guess you might not like it. Um, but yeah, just give it a chance if you're open to it. It's a fantastic film. Um, but yeah, so that's your spoiler warning now. I'm going to get into um, specific scenes and talk about things that I really liked and loved and, and whatnot. I don't really have any like complaints, honestly, about this film. So it's pretty much just going to be like 100% praise for different specifics from here on out so there's your spoiler warning again uh if you haven't seen the movie go watch it and then come back to this or if you don't care about spoilers keep listening or watching um so yeah um oh dude first i guess um his laugh oh my god joaquin phoenix um so he like researched um people i i didn't even i, I kind of knew this was a thing sort of but not really uh, but there's a like condition that some people have where they, it, the they'll incontrollably laugh, and they can't stop, and it, it's 
opposite to what they're mo- like they won't be like happy or think that something's funny it's almost like a, from what i can tell and what i know it seems like an anxiety trigger almost where like if they feel uncomfortable or upset or bothered or whatever um they'll start laughing and they can't stop and it like hurt it looks like it physically hurts them and like it hurts their throat and like they can't breathe but they just can't stop laughing and it's just a condition that they have and um that's what arthur fleck and joker slash joker has in this movie um which i can't believe that no one's explored that with the joker before honestly i've never seen that there might be a comic that does that that i'm unaware of but i don't think so and it's such a small thing but such a genius direction to take like his laugh um and it's absolutely bone chilling like just the like i have chills now just thinking about it and imagining it just the way one that he's able to just do that and and execute that so perfectly like he just completely replicates that pain and that uncontrollable laughter um that that disease causes and also just the fact that he turns it on and off like in an instant in some scenes um it's just so wild and it's so just haunting like his laugh it's oh it's insane like i never i genuinely never thought that anyone would like come close to heath ledger's joker laugh which i hate comparing them i feel like they're kind of incomparable as performances which i might get into in a little bit but um for the laugh i was like oh that like ledger's i was like that's the joker laugh like that's that's just how it is but this is just it's something else man it's it's so good for for lack of more colorful words it's it's really really good so like that laugh and that direction to take that i think was genius um but yeah like i mentioned earlier i mean this the scene or not the scene this movie is such a slow and incremental change um from him being Arthur Fleck to him becoming the Joker. He, I mean, one, the film opens and it's the, the scene of him putting on the clown makeup and like forcing himself to do the smile and then like the frown and he's got like the tear running down his face too. And like, honestly, from that scene, you're pretty much like, yeah, give him the Oscar. Like, I feel like a lot of people don't, I won't say a lot, but I feel like some people don't, really understand slash like take into account how difficult acting actually is because we see so many like good actors just generally in films like pretty much every like hollywood film you see is like they're good actors the re- the really easy way to tell is like go on sci-fi and watch some of the sci-fi just like random movies that they have and like check out the acting in those and you're like oh okay or like try acting yourself if you're not an actor it's so hard um and so just to like be able to do what he does and bring the level of emotion and, and, and depth that he does, just even in that opening scene is incredible. Um, but like it starts with that and really just you see like his day. I mean, he goes through and he's doing the like sign flip thing in front of the store, you know, that everything must go. And then that's when these punks like come up and steal his sign and then like ambush him and beat him. Um, that's like the opening of the movie. And of course, I mean, you feel super sorry and like bummed for him about that. Cause I mean, it's just a shitty thing for anyone to have to go with or to go through, but you see that. And then you see like the rest of his day kind of like go by and he, you just see really how like 
just utterly miserable he is and just how uncontent with the life he is and just how really just it, it's not he's not in a good place you see his his first meeting with his therapist and um she shows she asks him for his journal and like he's reluctant to give it up and then he brings it out and there's you know all kinds of scribbles and he mentions that he's um writing material to be a comedian because he wants to be a stand-up comic and she flips to this journal and there's like pictures of there's pornography in it and then also like dismembered bodies and then these the joke that she lands on is him saying like he hopes his death makes more sense than his life and he's just so broken as a person already at this point um that's the beginning of the film and so really you see that and you see him going through his like day-to-day kind of um he gets jumped and then his co-worker gives him a gun he's like hey you gotta like look after yourself you gotta protect yourself um which other's like i'm not i shouldn't have a gun like he knows that that's wrong but he still like takes it you know obviously um i think one of my favorite scenes actually which it's kind of funny not funny but also is it's whenever he's um at a children's hospital you know performing like uh, being a clown as his job um and he's dancing around and then the gun that he has like falls out of it falls down his pants and he's like, oh, shit, and, like, has to, like, pick it up and, you know, kind of, like, acknowledge a lot about it. And that's um, how he ends up getting fired, actually. And just his utter defeat uh, after that happens. And then he's riding the subway. And at this point, he's already just, like, gone through. We've just alone seen him go through so much just, like, emotional torment at this point. And he's at an absolute low and he's on the subway and then these guys end up, his uncontrollable laugh comes into play and he just like can't stop laughing. And these three like assholes who we find out later end up working for Wayne Enterprises, they're like Wall Street guys, come over and they start just beating the shit out of him. And then he, he kills them, like he's on the ground and he ends up like shooting two of them and kills them on the subway. And then the third guy goes to run away. And it's one, first off, like you're watching him just be beaten and like you don't like you feel dirty watching that you're like well this is terrible and then like whenever he fires on those guys just violence is just so quick and brutal and it just happens and you're like oh shit okay like I guess like you're it, it kind of like it's so conflicting because you're like oh well they kind of deserved it but then you're like well he also just straight up murdered two people and then he like goes after the third one and ends up chasing him down and he kills him too in cold blood and then like runs away. And then he goes and he ends up running like into this public bathroom at, at this one part and he um, just like dances. And um, which is actually his like desire, not I guess desire is the right word. His love kind of for dancing is shown a little bit earlier in the movie whenever after he first gets the gun, there's a scene of him just like dancing in his living room. Um, which is a really great scene too, but this scene, whenever he goes into the public bathroom, it just shows him just completely like he feels free. Like this is the most powerful and, uh, free of like weight, uh, emotional weight, I guess that he's like ever felt in his life. Like after killing these three guys, um, 
and you really see that in his performance. The score is absolutely bone chilling in this moment. It's so, so powerful. And it's just him dancing around in that bathroom and just kind of like embracing like what he just did and kind of who he's turning into. And this is the first major Joker turn moment in the film. Um, we like see that. Um, and that's just such a like, it's such a pivotal aspect of it. And then um, along with that, so I think a little bit before this, he had like met his neighbor who is Zay's Beats. She lives like down the hall from him. And um, he had um, met her on the elevator at first and they got kind of hit it off or whatever. And then the next day he's like following her around Gotham, which you're kind of like, oh, okay, Arthur, maybe you shouldn't do that. Like, that's not a good idea. And then like later on, there's a scene where she like knocks on his apartment door and she's like, hey, were you following me? And he's like, yeah, but she like isn't, super off put by it which is weird and then like he mentions that he has stand up or whatever and she should come watch it at some point and she's like yeah I can do that and so she goes to his like stand up uh, performance which that scene also is something that's really painful to watch because you know this is something that he's so proud and like it's his dream honestly to be a stand up comedian and he goes up there and he just like can't do it he just uncontrollably laughs for most of it and he tells his jokes that just do not land at all um, and you're just sitting there watching it like, oh, like this hurts to see, like, it's just so awkward and just bad, but it's such a good scene because of that. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. Um, also another thing in that comedy club that's really cool is like before that, whenever he's watching one of the comedians perform and he's like taking notes about it, one, he's laughing in the, the dead space between the, like, he's not laughing with the rest of the crowd like the comedian will say the punchline and he like won't laugh at that but then he'll say the next line to set up the next punchline and he'll laugh at that part and I think that's just such a really it's a small detail but it's a really it goes a long way in showing just how not like everyone else everyone else Arthur is um and so that's another really strong scene but yeah she like goes to his neighbor goes to his like comedy club with a performance with him um that's after actually he had um, killed the three men on the subway. And before that, right after he had killed the men, it shows him going to like her apartment and like coming in and just kissing her. And you can infer what happens from that um, when they close the door. But so like that goes along. And so we see someone, you know, finally like kind of um, take notice of him and really start to like accept him and, and be there for him. And you like see that, um, and then as that's happening, also in Gotham, the murder of these Wall Street guys have, has kind of sparked a movement and a resistance against the wealthy and the elite in Gotham. And because um, there's an eyewitness saying that it was a dude in either clown makeup or a clown mask, and the city just runs with that. And there are just riots and protests of people in clown masks thomas wayne didn't help any at all whenever he's mentioning the the murders and he says that someone who does that obviously has to hide behind a mask and that the people in gotham who haven't made something of their lives are all clowns so he just throws fuel on the fire and just helps further that systematic divide between the have and the have nots in gotham and so arthur has accidentally 
just become a major catalyst for this huge movement that he really doesn't care about, but he sees this happening and he knows that he's the one who did that. And so that gives him a sense of grand, like, I mean, it just feeds his narcissism, really. Um, and so that's happening at the same time, which is just such a strong element to the film. And then um, that happens. And, and also throughout the film, his mother is saying that uh, she's like trying to let, write letters to Thomas Wayne and um, saying that he'll help them. And Arthur like reads one of the letters and it's revealed that in the letter, according to his mother, Arthur is Thomas Wayne's son. And so that's a pretty crazy like plot twist that happens in there. That happens like halfway through the movie. And uh, you're kind of like, oh, shit, like, that means that Joker's Batman's half-brother, technically, um, <laughs> which is pretty crazy to see. And so Arthur does some, like, sort of investigating into that. He goes to see Bruce Wayne, actually, which, as a Batman fan, I love that scene because it's just so crazy, even though there's obviously the huge age difference here because Bruce is, like, eight or nine at this point, And Joker's, you know, a full-grown man. Um it's so weird seeing Batman and Joker like interact, even if it's such a different version of both of these characters that we normally see. Like this is Arthur Fleck still at this point interacting with Bruce Wayne, it's a man who will be Joker interacting with a child who will be Batman. But that's such a cool dynamic to have in there at the same time. Um, so I really love that scene. And then later on we get during one of the like protest at this, I think it's like a gala or, or, uh, benefit or something that Thomas Wayne is attending uh, Arthur ends up like sneaking into and like talking to him and um, I really love one of the lines that he because Arthur is like approaching Thomas and saying that he's Penny Fleck's son and that he, Thomas is his dad and like Thomas is like laughing it off and he's like I'm not your father like your mother was crazy she was making that up you're adopted like all these things and Arthur is obviously not wanting to hear this he's like you're lying to me and Thomas is like what do you want like money he's like no I don't want your money like I don't care about that he's like I don't understand why everyone's just so mean and indecent and he's like oh what do I want and he's like how about a hug how about some fucking decency dad like and just the performance that Joaquin gives in that moment is just so strong you feel everything that he's saying and it just hits so hard uh and then yeah, Thomas just, like, shatters what he thinks he knows, and it just, it hits, and then his uncontrollable laughter kicks in, and Thomas is like, you think this is funny, and just punches him, and he just can't stop, and then next we have the scene of him getting into the fridge, like, and just not being able to, not knowing how to cope with what he's been told about his mother, he doesn't know what's true about his own life, and just, it's such a, unsettling and just psychologically just I don't even know it's just so strong that like everything is just crescendoing like one after the other after the other and then he goes to Arkham to investigate whether or not his mom actually was admitted into the like the hospital which that's another thing I love that Arkham is a state hospital in this it's not an asylum technically um it basically serves the same purpose uh it's just a small change but it works uh, fundamentally well for the story being told um, and he like goes to investigate that and whenever he finds out about his mother it's also just another 
just incredibly profound and game-changing scene because at first he's going and he's like talking to the guy and he the clerk and he like mentions that he like did some bad he says that he like did something really bad and he like fucked up and he doesn't feel bad about it he says that he thought he would but he didn't obviously talking about him killing those three men on the subway and it's the first time that we see him fully admit that like he is not bothered by what he did he's not affected by those murders he actually feels kind of good about it um and so that's another i think big joker step in that moment him fully accepting the responsibility and the lack of care for that action um but then right after that we get him learning that his mother did indeed adopt him but also that she suffered from delusional psychosis and narcissistic personality disorder and a couple of other things and that he was adopted and she was idle whenever one of her boyfriends was physically and emotionally extremely abusive to the both of them it's revealed that he as a child was like found tied to a radiator with severe head trauma and bruises all over his body and so like that goes a long way to explain how one it could explain his neurological uncontrollable laughing that he has and then it also just goes a lot to explain why he's so mentally unhealthy and unwell um and that's a huge thing and he just like the scene when he's just at the bottom of the stairs just kind of taking that all in and, and like not knowing exactly how to compete with it and just laughing which is basically him crying at this and just not it's just and he's the way it's shot too he's literally just like at the literal low point on the screen because the camera is above the stairs and he's at the bottom of the stairwell and so you just it's just another twist that just sticks the knife further in his psychology um and that's crazy and whenever he goes home from that is the i think the biggest twist in the movie and something that i absolutely did not see coming at all um he goes and he won the score is just overpowering at this point it's so strong we've just received so much crucial and um perspective changing information and world shattering information for arthur and it's just so intense and strong at this moment and he goes home and he goes to um zay's beats i don't think that we actually ever get a character name for her um he like walks into her apartment and sits down on the couch and we hear her in the background putting her child to sleep. And then whenever she walks into the living room, she's absolutely shocked by him sitting on the couch. And she's like, oh my God, like, you're in the wrong apartment. Like, what are you doing here? And then she goes, your name's Arthur, right? You live like down the hall. And as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, fuck. Like that. And then the movie proceeds to show the scenes between him and her to this point where they've spent time but then it does a cut in each of them and shows that she wasn't really there for any of it that arthur just completely imagined that entire relationship and that one is something i did not see coming at all and just absolutely knocked me back and then also, it goes to further 
um, something that's really important by the end of the film and was also introduced near the beginning of the film because in one of the first scenes of the film, him and his mom are watching the Murray show and while they're watching it, it cuts it like is switching back and forth between like them watching it on the TV and then showing what would be the actual camera footage of it, you know, like on the set of the show. And while it's on the set of the show, it then turns and like Arthur's in the crowd and it ends up being a like dream basically or a like a daydream of what his ideal experience on the Murray show would be. And um, it goes through all of that and that kind of shows just how imaginative and how far his mind can go in coming up and just imagining these scenarios. Um, and so that's a really big thing there. And it just go like that coupled with him straight up imagining the entire relationship with it, with her um, just furthers the point of how unreliable of a narrator Arthur is because this movie is entirely from his perspective. But by doing that, it completely undermines by uh, what I mean by doing that, by ha by showing the fact that he imagined that entire relationship it completely undermines his reliability as a narrator. We now can't fully trust anything that we're seeing on the screen, which is absolutely fucking genius. It makes the entire film ambiguous, which I'll get more into that specifically whenever I talk about the end, but it just is such a smart way to structure the story, and it's also such a Joker thing to do. Um... And so, yeah, I just, I love that so much. I think that was such a, such a smart move to do. Um, and it also goes to further the point that this movie is not glorifying or glamorizing anything that he does. Because while at the end and in the movie, there are the crowds and the protests and the things that are raising Arthur up as this figure and this face of this revolution. And he's... Um, wallowing is not the right word but he's just basking in this you also have to take into account that this is wholly from his delusioned perspective and so of course in his mind he's going to be more grand and important than he might actually be um and his worldview is so distorted and twisted that it's not how it actually is um and so everything just works so in tandem in that respect um, but yeah, that, that twist though, with the fact that their relationship was completely imagined, I did not see coming at all. And I was like, oh fuck, you won movie. You got me. Um, and so that happens. And, um, throughout the film also, not throughout the whole film, but after the subway murders, there are these two, um, investigators that are trying to talk to Arthur and, um, they're trying to talk to him. They go to his apartment at one point and he's not there and they talk to his mother and the questions that they start asking his mother end up giving her a stroke and she ends up in the hospital and uh, it's while she's in the hospital that Arthur ends up doing all of the investigating basically into his origin, his backstory, whether or not he's Thomas Wayne's son, uh, his mother being in Arkham and um, not mentioning that and being delusioned and, and those types of things. Um, and so he does all of that during that time. And after he finds about her, out about her in Arkham, and then he also goes to his neighbor's apartment, which one, another thing 
on that point that I like that's ambiguous is the fact that we don't know whether or not he killed her. It shows him and they're sitting there and she's in shock and he does the like he puts the finger gun to his head and like pulls a trigger and then it cuts to him leaving the apartment. And so it's really up to the viewer whether or not she died. It's inconsequential to the rest of the story. It's not mentioned again. You don't know. And so really, like, she died if in your mind you wanted her. You think that he killed her. But if you think that he didn't, then he didn't. And the story doesn't change fundamentally either way. Which I love the fact that you can do that and that you have that question there. And there's also enough... Um, like doubt there to make you think well maybe he did because after that he goes to his apartment and you hear sirens outside for like an ambulance like by the apartment which could be for her but Gotham's also kind of in hell right now so it could be for something else completely so you don't really know um, so I love that ambiguity there but after that he goes to his ho the hospital and he's at his mother's bedside and uh, he says one of the lines, I think this line was in the trailer, one of the trailers, actually. Um, he's talking and uh, he goes to stand up and he says, you know, like, what's really funny, what really makes me laugh is I used to think my life was a tragedy. Now I realize it's a fucking comedy. And he just straight grabs the pillow and suffocates his mother. And I think that is really the final step to him becoming the joker in this like i feel like from that moment on he's fully become the joker he's let go of everything at that point he doesn't have the relationship that he imagined with his neighbor he doesn't have his mother anymore he knows that he's completely abandoned by society he has lost his job he has gone through everything that he feels that he can go through negatively and he just does not give a fuck anymore and him Killing his mother is the complete liberation of his soul to do whatever he wants just because. And that is what the Joker is. He just, I mean, to quote Heath Ledger, he just does things. And that is what he completely becomes in that moment, I feel. Um, so he does that and then he goes home. And at this point, he's also been contacted by... One of the representatives from the Mur the Murray show, they book the guests and things. And um, uh, actually, a very important thing, while he's at the hospital with his mother, the Murray show, they play footage from him at his stand-up and Murray's making fun of him, which just completely shatters his opinion and view of Murray. He had always looked up to Murray and thought like, oh, I want to be like him and things like that and like semi-worshipped him and now Murray is literally just making fun of him and laughing at his expense, which just completely changes how he looks and feels about Murray. And um, so after that, he gets called and they want him as a guest on the Murray show because apparently there was a lot of fan reaction and support to the video that they showed of his comedy act. And so he has a date set to go on the Murray show. So he goes home after he kills his mother and um, he is putting his clown makeup on and he has just the white makeup on and um, someone like knocks or like rings on his door. And um, so he just has that on. And that is absolutely the most creepy thing 
in the film. He, like, it's even more disturbing than the full clown makeup whenever he has, like, the red and blue and stuff. Like, just the white face is just terrifying. Um, and so he answers the door, and it's Randall, I believe is his name, who's the guy who gave him the gun at the beginning of the movie, and then their uh, midget co-worker, who... I I don't know if midget's the proper word, actually. The short is the short. Per- I apologize to anyone, maybe. Um, but he's the short person that they have as a coworker, um, and they're there. And they'd heard about his mother passing, and so they brought some, like a bottle of either wine or liquor or whatever, to like you know lift up his just normal like coworker friend thing to do whenever you know that one of their relatives passed. Um, but Arthur is just like no. I'm fine actually i'm i'm celebrating like that's why i've got the clown makeup on and stuff and they're really like kind of like off put by this um and during that scene like he after he lets them in he like locks it and bolts the door shut and he does the uh the chain bolt on the door and um as as soon as he did the chain bolt i was like well the short guy can't get that if this goes because you before he answered the door he put a pair of scissors in his pocket and you're like okay well this is about to not be good he's gonna kill at least one of whoever comes in the room after this right you you know that's coming um and so whenever he bolted that i was like well i mean the short guy can't get out now he can't reach that um and so this entire scene just puts you completely on edge and um randall's like talking or whatever and Joaquin is just like yeah yeah like that makes sense because the, the guy's like mentioning the police and he's like yeah and then he just straight up mid-sentence just pulls out the scissors and just stabs him in the neck and then the forehead like right beside his eye and just like takes him to the ground and just thrashes his head against the wall and just blood everywhere and it's just so brutal and just makes you feel disgusting and it's such a violent outburst that is a very joker thing to do and the short guy just like runs into the corner and is just freaking out and just losing it and he's like oh my god arthur why would you do that what have you done and arthur just like sits down on the floor and he's like of course breathing quickly at first and then he just like composes himself and like his co-workers just still freaking out in the corner and arthur's like i'm gonna be on the mer just casually it's like, I'm going to be on the Murray show tonight. Um, do you, like, watch it? And then it, just in, like, a British or English accent, he's, like, fucking crazy, right? He's, like, me on the telly. Like, and it's just the fact that he goes from literal homicidal maniac to making jokes about being on the telly to the person that just witnessed him brutally murder this guy is such a joker thing to do that it's just almost mind melting like that's ex- that's how you imagine the joker acting and so he does that and then he's like you can go gary uh who's the short guy he's like you can leave like i'm not gonna hurt you and so gary like goes to leave he's obviously very disturbed about the dead body there and he like gets to the door and then he can't reach the bolt and at this point in my mind i was like fuck i don't know if he told him that he could go just so he can get to the bolt like just so he could have the hope and get to the bolt realize he can't open it and then he'll go up and kill him because he just wanted to fuck with him some more or 
whether or not he just literally forgot that he wouldn't be able to do the bolt and he'll go do it. Like, I did not know whether or not this guy was going to live or die. And the fact that the movie is able to create that much uncertainty just in this scene is so, so good. Um, but yeah, he, the guy's like, Arthur, I, I can't. Can you get the lock? And Arthur just like looks over and he like laughs and he's like, oh, yeah, like, right. Like, sorry. And just gets up and goes and unlocks the door and like he opens it and then closes it real quick and you're like oh shit he's gonna kill him actually and then he's like you're the only one who was ever nice to me and kisses him on the head and then lets him run away and it's just the entire scene is just so disturbing and unsettling and just it's just so I keep on saying it but it's just so so good like it's just such phenomenal writing and acting and just drives home the transformation that he's gone through to this point in the story and it's also just so true to the Joker as a character that it hurts and it's just it's so good um and then that's followed up by this is what I kind of briefly mentioned earlier but the single most Joker scene that I've ever seen in my entire life and um that's when he's actually on the Murray show. Um, to this point, we'd seen him like in his apartment practicing and pantomiming what he's going to do whenever he gets on the show. And we've seen him um, act like he's going to kill himself on the show. And that's how he's going to die. And so you're like, not sure if that's what he's actually going to do. Like, well, he, he might actually do that. He might you know, go on there and, like, kill himself, and that's just how he wants to go out, you're unsure of that, uh, and you see him, like, backstage before, uh, going on, and Murray, one, he asked Murray to introduce him as a Joker, which is a phenomenal moment, because that's what Murray, um, briefly called him in, in the, whenever he played his clip earlier in the film, and it just is, is so good, and so he does that, and he's waiting backstage, and before he goes on, Murray's playing the clips again, and, you know, making fun of him again, and you see him just sitting there, like, smoking a cigarette, and just, like, thinking, and just, you don't know what he's thinking, you have no idea what's going through his head, but there's also so much emotion in that blank expression that it's just, it's incredible, and then he um, before the curtains raise, starts doing his dance, you know, and then he, like, goes out, and he's just the absolute showman whenever he goes out, like, he walks out and does the, like, spins and waves into the crowd and goes up and kisses the other, like, female guest that's the, like, doctor that's there and just is such, he's such a performer in that moment, which is also so what the joker is like the joker is terrifying and menacing and funny and just an absolute performer through and through like he's so theatrical and he just joaquin just absolutely nails that in this scene and you just are mesmerized by him the entire time that this scene is going on and so we get this brilliant back and forth between Joker and Murray where they're going back and forth and Joker tells a really messed up joke and they're like you can't do that and he's like yeah yeah and he starts going off on his tangent about how 
just he eventually admits to like committing the murders on the subway and he's like i'm tired of acting like that's not funny like that was he's like everyone he's like comedy is subjective like you all decide what's right and wrong as well as what's funny and what's not and he's like fuck that like i thought it was great and it was just going off about it and the scene just keeps on escalating and escalating and escalating and most of the scene there's no score present it's just the set sounds and the scene sounds that are happening in in the dialogue but then at a certain point when it reaches this escalation the score kicks back in and starts going into overdrive kind of and just getting more and more intense and intense and you know that he's got a gun on him and he just goes off and he's like murray like what do you get whenever you cross a mentally unstable loner with a society who like doesn't give a fuck about him or has abandoned him and Murray's like yelling at him and he's like you get what you fucking deserve and he just shoots him in the head and it's even I mean like I knew it was coming the second time I saw the movie and it still just absolutely hit me like you just feel so like you feel it so much in your core and it just hits you and it's dirty and brutal and fast and you're like that just happened like he just did that he just shoots him on live tv like and it's the crowd starts freaking out naturally and then he just stands up and he just shoots him again in the chest just cuz and then he like walks up to the camera and like grabs the camera and he's like good night and remember like that's life and he gets cut off before the sentence can finish and just him grabbing the camera and speaking to the camera is also just so joker and the camera zooms out from a big like the wall of monitors that you see in like news stations and things like that and it's showing all these different channels replaying what just happened on the murray interview and talking about the fact that there's just absolute chaos in the streets of gotham right now there's riots breaking out all across the city people are burning cars breaking into buildings just absolute madness and madness and mayhem joker gets arrested and put in the back of a police car and we're with him as he's being driven through the city and he's just laughing and the cop is like stop laughing this isn't funny like look what you caused and joker's like i know isn't it beautiful and it just all of it is such perfect joker like it just is what that care like that is that character to his core just really from the moment after he kills his mother on is just like the scene in his apartment and the talk show scene especially like the talk show scene is one of my favorite scenes of all time now just because of how well it's put together and just how captivating it is and how much he really becomes the joker in that scene like you don't see joaquin phoenix at all which is even more impressive considering you've just spent most of the movie looking at him without makeup like it's of course easier to differentiate the actor from the role whenever they're wearing makeup or a mask or whatever but just the fact that you see him for most of the movie without makeup on and then whenever he after he puts the makeup on he just completely embodies that character and just becomes like that's just the joker at that point and that's insane it's so so good um and even before that i can't believe i forgot to mention it but you get the iconic scene of him dancing down the stairs um before like the police start chasing after him and like 
throughout the movie you had seen the like route that he takes to walk home he has to go up this gigantic staircase that's just um really it just like puts the extra like oh your life sucks on top of all the stuff that he has to go through like yes it's such a mental uh and physical obstacle for him to go through like every day and he just dreads it and is miserable going up them every time and then after he's in full joker makeup and wardrobe whenever he walks down these stairs he doesn't even walk down them he just dances down them and is just completely free like he just feels for the first time so wholly content with himself and happy in what he's doing and liberated and that scene is just awesome it's so it's just such a stark contrast to how we had been seeing him on that same staircase throughout most of the film also worth noting that whenever he's going up the stairs early in the movie in his depression it's at nighttime and it's obviously in a very grim and dark setting whenever he's going down them it's bright it's daylight it's freeing um so that's really strong the chase with the cops pursuing him is really cool he like runs and ends up being on the train with a bunch of the people wearing clown masks and is able to escape because of that because the people are so um opposed to and upset with the establishment at this point that they end up basically jumping the police for him and so he's able to get away that's really good but it's just the final act of this movie is just pure joker through and through and it's just mesmerizing to see and then after he's in the cop car you see the cop car get hit by this ambulance that's being driven by one of the people from the riots who's wearing a, a clown mask and they see who's in the back of the car they see that it's him and they pull him out and lay him on top of the hood and then he eventually like wakes up regains consciousness and like the whole crowd is just egging him on and he just stands on top of the hood and is just basking in being this idol to these people and this symbol and he had said earlier in the movie he was like i'm not even sure if i existed but now people are starting to take notice and i do and this is the full realization of that he's finally like people see me now and he even said on the murray show too like whenever he mentioned that he killed the man he was like if it was me dead on the street you'd step over me but since it's these wall street guys that thomas wayne cried over like everyone cares and now he's in this position where he feels that all these people care about him and what he's done and that again just feeds into his narcissism but at the same time it's not glamorizing it because it's from his skewed worldview and perspective and him thinking that he's justified and right and all this chaos and mayhem that he's causing even though it's so obviously terrible and not the right way to go about anything in a civilized manner and it's just it's so good in the contrast that it morally has there and the issues that it raises because it really is showing like this is what can happen when there's such a major disconnect in society between the people who have the power to do things and make things better but when they don't listen to the people that need help and it's just it's so good it's so so good and so like that happens and then in the middle of the riots of course one of my other favorite things about this movie is the fact that we get the Wayne murders. We still, I look, okay, it's a Joker movie through and through, but since Bruce Wayne is still in it, I love how they were still like, oh, fuck you, Bruce Wayne. You thought you were getting out of this without watching your parents die? Think again. And 
the fact that the riots are happening when the Waynes come out of the movie theater and they go to take this back alley and then it's just a clown and a clown or a guy in a clown mask and he's like hey Wayne you get what you fucking deserve and just guns down the Waynes in front of Bruce and I love this moment a lot because the movie doesn't really spend time on it it takes enough time to show it happening but it's not super dramatic it's not in slow-mo it's not made a big deal it's just like any of the other violent and terrible things that we see happening during these riots and we just see the Waynes get murdered and the movie keeps going it's not about that it's not about Bruce it's not about them that just happened and we keep going and I think that makes it even more powerful for doing so um so I just love that on multiple levels because of that. Like, I love that we still managed to get the Wayne murders again, even though we've seen them, I don't even know how many times on film at this point. Um, but this one was able to do it differently and make it stand out by not standing out. And that serves the story. And so I think that's just really, there's just layers there that I really, really appreciate. Uh, it's also really poetic that... Bruce Wayne's parents are murdered indirectly by the actions of Joker, who, you know, is obviously Batman's greatest villain. And so there's just another layer there that's really cool. Um, so, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and then we there's the iconic shot of, you know, him, Joaquin or Joker, um, using the blood from his mouth to form into the Joker smile. It's just great cinema. <laughs> um, there's really not a lot more to say about that. Um but yeah, it's just, it's incredible. And then the final, the final part of the movie, the very, the very end, which um, I think is really, I don't know if it's the strongest part about the movie. I think it might be the, the smartest part about the movie. Um, the final scene segues into him, like it cuts to black when he's like in the crowd. Uh, it fades to black and then we get audio of him laughing and it cuts to him in Arkham state hospital and we know earlier in the movie it's mentioned once that he was in the hospital at one point we don't know for how long and we don't know when but it shows like a second of him in an observation room like banging his head against the glass window on a door so we know that at some point in the past the past is in prior to when most of what we're seeing in the movie happens um, he was in Arkham Asylum and the final scene of the movie is him in Arkham Asylum and he's laughing and the psychiatrist talking to him asks him what he's laughing about and he says he was just thinking of a joke and it does a cut to show Bruce standing over his parents and then cuts back to him and she's like do you want to share and he goes, no, you wouldn't get it. And then it cuts to the hallway outside the room. We see him leave the room and walk down the hallway with bloody footprints and then be chased back and forth at the end of the hallway. And then the film ends. And so this scene changes the movie completely because up until this scene, it's been a linear narrative aside from the few flashbacks that he had of seeing um, his mom's history her being in Arkham and that second flashback like the one second flashback of him being in the hospital for a moment aside from that it's been a linear story 
But this being placed at the end of the movie, you can do a couple things with it and it's completely open to interpretation, which I absolutely love. It's super ambiguous, which I think is perfect and 100% the way to do it. But so one, you can take this ending as the entire movie is now a dream and took place inside of his head. He was just in that interview room and imagined the entire film in the same way that at the beginning of the movie, he imagined the dream of him on the Murray show and Murray praising him and all of that. So if you want to, you can imagine that the entire movie is a dream and he's in Arkham Asylum right now, or Arkham State Hospital. And nothing in the movie contradicts that line of thought. If you want to think that that's what happened, it 100% works, which is insane. That's so cool. And then also, you could think that it's just cut like that, and it takes place in the past, and it's just to me, and that he's literally just thinking of a joke, and that he doesn't think that she'll get it, and she doesn't want to tell him the, or he doesn't want to tell her the joke, and then he gets let out at a later date. And then the movie starts as we see the movie and everything actually happened. That's the one that I choose to believe is the way the movie played out. Just because I like the idea that the movie actually happened and that it wasn't all a dream. Um, that's just more satisfying for me. Um, but, and there's also nothing that contradicts that happening. Um, there's actually, you can argue some evidence for that in the fact that he knows about Bruce Wayne and uh, other names that... He may not if he's never been out of Arkham, but then again, you could also argue since it's an alternate universe, Bruce might not even exist except for in his imagination. And so there's that, like nothing, since it's an alternate universe telling of this, anything goes basically. And so that ending being as ambiguous as it is, it could either be a dream or it cannot be a dream and both lines of thought are correct there's no right answer with it. It's just what you choose to believe. Like how earlier in the movie, whether or not he killed his neighbor is completely subjective and whether or not you think that he did it. And the fact that that and the entire movie as a whole is whichever you prefer is also such a joker thing to do. It goes back to what I mentioned earlier where he says, if I'm going to have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. That's literally what this movie is. Like, that's so, that's so good. It's so good. I just, it honestly kind of hurts my brain with how incredible that is. And also, like, how much, if it is a dream, how much would the Joker's ego love for there to be an entire movie about his grand delusion? Like, that's also such a joker thing it just literally everything about this movie through and through is so core and great to the character and it's such a new and just oh it's all so good i really can't emphasize how great it is enough um yeah and then the bloody footprints i mean i feel like that is less ambiguous he definitely killed that psychiatrist and so you could think on the face, well, okay, if he killed a psychiatrist and this does take place in the past and you want to believe that the entire movie happened, how did they end up letting him out of Arkham if he did kill her? But, which is 
kind of what nagged at me for a minute because I do want to believe that the entire movie happened. And my brain was kind of like, oh, but how did they let him out after he murders someone like that? Um, my thing is, uh, I'm actually a really big true crime fan. Uh, I'll talk about that at length at some point during this podcast. Not this episode, but um, future episodes. Um, so I listen to a lot of true crime stories. And people have been let out of prison and uh, mental hospitals and stuff for worse offenses in real life. So it definitely could happen, especially in the fictional universe of Gotham. Um, so I don't think him killing her in the asylum or the hospital is a deal breaker for him never being let out after the fact or breaking out. I mean, I don't think it would break out because he's a normal citizen in society whenever the movie is happening. Um, but still, I think it would still work. Um, but yeah, just the fact that the ending makes it completely ambiguous and you can just pick what you want to believe about it, um, is so good. I've said so good. Take a, there's a drinking game for you. (laughs) Re-listen to this podcast and take a shot every time I say it's so good. Um, sorry for your liver. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I, I love this movie so much. I literally, the first time I watched it after the movie ended, I knew there was no post-credit scene because that's not this kind, that's not what this movie is. Um, but I literally just sat there in shock for the entire credits. And then after the credits ended, I just walked to my car in shock and sat in my car for like 20 minutes in shock, trying to type up the tweet that I ended up sending about this movie and just trying to compose any logical sentences uh, to express in like 240 characters I feel about this movie, which has clearly, as you can tell by this hour and a half runtime for this episode, uh, I've got a lot to say about it. Um, Yeah, it's just, it straight up is a masterpiece, honestly. In my mind, like, this is a masterclass in filmmaking. There's a reason it was as heralded as it was before it came out, and why it's being as praised as it is now after release. Uh, I'm so glad that it's getting that praise the controversy around it is kind of annoying but also like I mentioned has also helped it a lot at the box office and as far as exposure and I've seen honestly I was very as I haven't been on Twitter my like main timeline a lot um, since the release I know before I was really worried about what the reactions to this movie were gonna be as far as the takes that some people would have and some of them are pretty bad, honestly, but I've been sort of surprised at the amount of um, positive and intelligent discourse that I've seen from this movie come up in regards to people being like, yeah, this movie isn't the problem in its subject matter. It's more so that we can, it, it encourages intelligent discussion about problems that we do have the capability to solve and look at in a different way um and so that's good to see i'm glad that we've seen that that i've seen that at least and it seems like that's um going around more than i anticipated it which I'm, i'm glad about um yeah i guess that's most of my thoughts on the film like i said it's my third favorite comic book movie now um Absolutely deserves the Oscar for Best Actor, 100%. I hope it gets nominated for a couple other things, too. Cinematography would be cool. I don't know if it will, 
that'd be cool um it won't get nominated for best picture even though i think that it would deserve it i don't know what the other best picture nominees are going to look like honestly i've been kind of lacking on the rest of my film um watching this year um but best picture won't happen anyways that'd be crazy though can you imagine joker best picture winner (laughs) um but yeah i guess those are most of my thoughts i'm sure that i forgot some stuff that i wanted to talk about for it there's there's just so much um i hit most of the things though it's just it's a fantastic character study it's dark it's unrelenting it's unnerving it's upsetting it's vulgar brutal violent um powerful just it's so many things and and then so much more and uh it does all of them almost flawlessly really um joaquin absolutely carries the movie elevates the movie the score like i said is fantastic it's 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 just it's a 10 out of 10 all around for me it's uh it's so good the the final act alone is just it more than worth the price of admission i don't know if it's like the last 30 minutes or the last like 25 minutes i don't know exactly how long it is from the the point when he kills his mother to to the the credits rolling but um from that point on the the climax is just it's crazy it's uh i love the fact that it's such a slow burn though I, i love slow burn movies and appreciate them so much it's so um compelling whenever you can do that well and uh the fact that we have that kind of art house, slow burn, methodical character study um, piece about Joker, like the most iconic comic book villain of all time is just, uh, I can't believe the movie exists, but uh, I'm so happy that it does and that it, that it was made, that it's getting the accolades that it is and that it's uh, bringing in the money that it is too. Um, so yeah, those are, those are my super, super long-winded thoughts on, on Joker. Um, I guess I'll do quick like shout outs from my, my social media and stuff now. Um, if you don't follow me on Twitter, be sure to follow me on Twitter at uh, Batman Files is my Batman fan account that I run, which I'm sure most of the people listening to this uh, probably follow <clears throat> um, at AP Batman with two T's is my personal Twitter account where I post stuff uh, not exclusively Batman related. Um, you can find me on Instagram at APB.comics where uh, it's basically like my Batman Twitter uh, slightly different in the way that I post on there though. It's more, um, obviously visually driven because of the way that Instagram is. Um, be sure to follow comics bookcase on Twitter. That's at comics bookcase. Um, I write reviews for detective comics, Batman and justice league on there, as well as, uh, other editorials on there from time to time. Um, be sure to follow at comic book debate on Twitter. Uh, I also write editorials for them on a monthly basis. Um, my most recent one, was about issues 21 through 24 of Tom King's Batman. Um, so if you're interested in that, be sure to check that out. Um, subscribe to my YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube and you're not already subscribed. Uh, it really helps me all out and uh, means a lot. Be sure to give a like, rate, and review, and subscription on whatever podcast streaming service uh, you're using to listen to this if you are listening to the exclusively uh, audio version, um, a comment on any of those platforms or feedback on Twitter would also be greatly appreciated. Um, always looking for more input, good or bad. I want to continually improve the show. Um, so anything really is, is appreciated. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that's it. 
Um, so thank you for listening slash watching. If you've made it to the end of this, I really appreciate it. And be sure to tune in next week. Later.